George Cukor said something. He said, cinema is like sex. When it's well done, it's magnificent. And if it's not well done, it's magnificent also. <laughs> Welcome to Francophiles. From the French Embassy in Washington, D.C., we explore the links between the United States and France and all the history, culture, and connection that exists between the two. I'm your host, Tracy Madigan. Today, preserving motion pictures that could have been lost forever. France and America were pioneers of cinema in the early 1900s, and our guest today has the dramatic stories of how the two countries merged and clashed. Serge Brombert has made it his mission to bring parched, damaged films that had been ignored for decades back to life. We wanted to hear more about Georges Méliès. He's one of the greatest French filmmakers of all time and one of the first. Serge Brombert, welcome to Francophiles. You have personally restored many Méliès films. Before we talk about him, his off-screen tragedy and accidental 3D movies, you tour the world showing films that you've brought back to life. Well, Tracy, the idea I had when I was 10, that's a long time ago, was that uh, there were so many films that were lost or at least never shown, and they needed someone to just present them and say, well, look at those marvels that we have in our hands, but we don't even know what they are. So in the last 30 to 35 years, I've been touring the world, showing films that were lost at some point and that were discovered here, there, and that are lost jewels, marvelous films. Of course, we find 90% of the films that we find are mediocre, just as any production ratio, but the 10% that are the best are the ideal material to build a show on, to tell stories, to show people what our grandfathers were watching, what amazed them, and realize that it's just equally amazing today. And believe me, at the end you think, at last something new in cinema, although those films are between 60 to 125 year old. In English, we say everything old is new again, and that's the case now. That's about it. But, you know, to rejuvenate the film, you, you get younger. I guess that's, you know, if you go back in time. Identification is the key point. If you don't know what a film is, it can be entertaining, but you don't exactly know where you are. So, you see, there are many, many ways of, of reconstructing a film. Uh, first of all, you should all know that about 50% of the films shot uh, in the history of cinema are now missing because, uh, you know, the producer go bankrupt, storage costs a fortune, then when silent films arrive, when sound films arrive, they destroy the silent films, and when color arrive, they destroy the black and white. So at the end of the day, so many films have been destroyed for many, many kinds of reasons, and but they were some of them were masterpieces. There are lost films by Charlie Chaplin, Lauren Hardy, Jean Renoir, Ozu uh, in Japan. Uh, basically, everyone has a missing film, and some directors have many. So you have put out so much on the buffet for me to ask about now. <laughs> so I want to hear about the contents of the films. I want to hear about where you got these films and the type of work it took to restore some of them. So first, you mentioned that all the films that you're currently working on have this 
American Franco connection. Yes. Tell me how, where where were you choosing from? Where does your your bank of salvaged films come from? Well, first of all, if you spend your life looking for films, plus have the support of all the international archives who have been gathering films since the in the last eighty years, obviously we can find anything that can be found. So uh, I certainly pick the films among the best ones on the subject. You have Buster Keaton, then you have a film found about children in um, France, but were filmed by the American Red Cross. It's eight minutes in Reims, and it's those images are beyond beliefs. We didn't know exactly where they came from in the first place. You have old commercials from 1918, shot in France, shown in France, but financed by the Rockefeller mission right after the First World War. So you see, there are many, many ways that uh, uh, the collaboration between France and America bring a new dimension to cinema. Oh, yes. I want to get to the accidental three-dimensional movie. But first, let's talk about Georges Méliès. Uh, he was there at the first public screening of cinema when the Lumière Brothers on December 28, 1895, did the first public screening in Paris. And he was there. He was a magician. He owned a, a magical theater nearby. And he thought, oh, well, cinema is ideal. It's so new. It's such a novelty. I'm going to show cinema in my magician show, but also I'm going to do with films what I cannot do in real life. Uh, and he invented special effects. At the time, he called it trick films. And he's the one who made the famous trip to the moon. Everyone knows that image of the moon with the rocket in the eye. Well, that image is from Trip to the Moon shot in 1902 by Georges Méliès, six years after cinema was invented. So you can th see that this man was really uh, the inventor of of a kind of cinema. Some people say that the Lumière were the ancestors of Rossellini. Well, Méliès was the, was the ancestor of Fellini. You know, the craziness, everything is possible, everything is uh, uh, surrealistic, or overboard, really fantastic. So Méliès did that. And when he shot his trip to the moon, he had a, a little problem, which is that this was the first blockbuster in the history of cinema, the longest film ever, 13 minutes, uh, at the time, but also is the first film that was pirated. An American producer, Franco-American, an American producer called Lubin stole a print, made a, a clone, a duplication, and started selling the films under his own name. And Melias didn't see a dime from the American market where the film was an immense, immense uh, success. So he said, the only way to stop those pirates is to publish the film the same day in America and in France. So, literally, have two negatives, one in America, one in France, and you could print on both sides of the ocean at a time when there were no planes, 1902. So, he sends to America his brother Gaston, G, Georges Méliès, Gaston Méliès, both have a G as an initial, and Gaston opens a little shop, and that's what they will do between 1903 and 1908, when uh, uh, Méliès nears bankruptcy. There will be literally two negatives of the films. Now, uh, Méliès has a very sad ending of a career. Uh, he, uh, he goes bankrupt in 1910. His house is seized in 1914, but because there's the First World War, he only loses the house in 1923. And one tragic afternoon, 
he takes the 520 negatives of his 520 films and burns them. Basically, his entire career goes up in flames in a few seconds. Why did he do that? Well, actually, he did that because he had to leave the house and there were no cinematheque or archives at the time. Uh, the first cinematheques and archives appeared in 1936 after the film became sound and they wanted to keep the silent films that were of no commercial value. But Melies had no place to put his films and he was... He thought that no one was interested in his work anymore. You know, time had passed. He was novelty 25 or 30 years ago, but those were the days. So he burns all the films, and, and it's really a tragedy. And he, he said that he probably did a little mistake. Well, let's face it. He did the most tragic mistake ever in the history of cinema. So we thought we would never see a film from a camera negative uh, of Georges Méliès. It so happens that in 2007, we discovered that there was a negative, actually half of a negative, in the Library of Congress in Washington. How is it possible that the negative we thought was burned, destroyed in 1923, was still around in 2007 in the United States, in the Library of Congress? We started to search. And it took kind of a sleuth job, but at the end of the day, we discovered the most fantastic story. In 1903, it was impossible to reprint a negative because the quality was terrible. The only way to have a negative in America and a negative in France was to shoot the two negatives at the same time. So Méliès took two cameras that he stuck side by side and controlled them by one handle, one crank. So basically he was filming through th two lenses with two mechanisms, two different negatives that were of course the same action. One negative would go to America, the other negative would go to France. Of course, Méliès only destroyed the French negatives in 1923. But what happened with the American negatives. Well, actually, when Gaston Méliès also went bankrupt in 1911, he ran away, left those negatives in the basement of a lawyer. We didn't know what he, what he had. Then the son of Gaston came back, bought those films, took those films, and sold them to a young producer called Leo Schlesinger. That was in 1921. Does the name Leo Schlesinger ring a bell? Do you remember Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck? Mm -hmm. Well, Leo Schlesinger tried to do something with those Melias films, but a few years later, sound arrived, and, and they decided to go into animated cartoons. The Merry Melodies, the Looney Tunes, Porky Pig, the Road Runners, those are Leo Schlesinger productions. And Leo Schlesinger, of course, gave up any kind of project with those Melias negatives. What to do with them? Oh, well, why not put them in the vaults of Warner Bros., where he was producing the cartoons? So the negatives are there. In 1949, Leo Schlesinger passes away. So uh, Warner goes to Berenice Schlesinger, the uh, wife, and says, what do we do with those cans? We don't know what they are. They are rusty. They are not Warner titles. Should we junk them? And she says, well, no. Uh, why don't we give them to the, the Academy of Motion Picture? Uh, we're in Los Angeles. Without knowing what was on them. Without, no one knew what was on them. 
So they deposit those cans in the Library of Congress. At the time, there were about 120 titles. The Library of Congress tried to print them, but they were so brittle, so old, so almost destroyed, that they decided that the best thing to do was to just keep them where they were in the cold. And, you know, maybe at some point something would happen. Well, that something happened when I visited the Library of Congress, and we decided to do a big, big plan with the French National Center of Cinema, the Library of Congress, of course, the Academy of Motion Picture, and my company, Lobster Films, in order to restore those 88 camera negatives by Georges Méliès, which is absolutely unbelievable. I mean, who would think that this ever existed? Okay, let's talk about the 3D aspect of this because you have two sets of negatives from the same film shoot and in the cinema world, that's the making of a 3D movie. Those two negatives were not shot through the same lens. They were shot through two lenses side by side, separated by about 10 centimeters, which is exactly what is required to record an image in stereoscopic 3D. So by filming two negatives that had, and without any intention of recording a stereoscopic 3D image, Melias actually shot all his films in stereoscopic 3D without knowing it. One eye left to America, the other eye stayed in Europe. So let's suppose we have the American negative on a film, which is the left eye, and the French or European negative on the right eye, and we show that with the right system. And believe me, you don't see a Méliès film, you're on the Méliès studio, and you're watching the actors in front of you acting. That's accident, accidental stereoscopic 3D, and it's just jaw-dropping. That's amazing. So you only have that, unfortunately, for a limited number of films because they have to be for the ones that weren't destroyed in France. That's for those for which, well, all the negatives were destroyed in France, but there were prints that circulated, and of course, all the archives throughout the world have been trying to preserve and save and find a prints of Georges Méliès. Uh, at the time, uh, the films were not rented as they are today, and they are supposed to return to the distribution. At the time, it was very primitive. The films, the prints, were sold to the exhibitors for the life of the print. They were not allowed to reproduce it, but they could use it as long as it would go through a projector. So uh, that's why many, many, about 150 films survive in their French version. And as I said, 88 films survive in their American versions. And for those on which we have the European and the American eye, then we have the stereoscopic 3D. So that's the 3D aspect that was way ahead of its time. Let's talk a little bit about color 
and talk about sound. Méliès invented color and sound. Méliès is probably the first who had the idea of, of course, he had only black and white film, but he asked young women, mostly women, because they had the, they could work in with a lot of precision on very small images, to hand paint every single frame of a film. That's 18 frames per second, so it would take weeks to hand paint a film. But in the end, you would have color film. It's not colorized. It's not. It's hand colored, literally. So every print would be unique. Uh, and, and it worked. There are very few hand-painted films uh, by Melies, but there are a few, including The Trip to the Moon. But uh, he also invented sound uh, in a very primitive way because his films were for most of them, designed to go with a narration. So there would be a pianist, but there would also be a narrator saying, oh, here is Professor Barbonfouilly from the bunch of... And they go to the moon, oh, explosion, what's happening? And, and so that narration turns a silent film into a complete color, sound, and image experience. You know, he was really visionary. Uh, his point as a magician was to surprise people, to do everything that seemed to be impossible, to make it possible. So... Uh, that's why you was probably the inventor in cinema. So this podcast is all about the relations between France and the United States of America. So Méliès was pretty much burned by a Franco-American who caused this piracy to happen. Tell us, what did he think of the United States? Well, you must realize that France was the center of the world for cinema before World War One, and then after the war was over, you know, that was it. America was the center, and Europe, European technicians and actors were all dead or wounded, or the industry was shattered. So uh, Méliès, from the beginning, was a um, self-made man, craftsman. He imagined, he, he did everything by himself he regarded the Americans as the enemy. There is an ironic, poetic side of this, though, that it's because of what happened to him that people like you, who restore, who find these, that you actually have access to it, that we now have access to it. Absolutely. Uh, that's the paradox. But, you know, it's also a matter of friendship be between archives and collectors. Uh, without the trust of uh, the people from the Library of Congress and the Academy, without the trust of everyone in Europe for the European eye or the European prince, we wouldn't have been able to do those uh, restoration projects. The, the, the very odd thing with restoration is that you can you know that the restoration is a success when no one realizes that there has been restoration. That's what we do. We spend our lives uh, speaking together, sharing discoveries, information, and at the end of the day, uh, it's for the best result, which is not restoring the films, but restoring the audience, which is the most important part in a cinema show. How many years did it take you to to restore just his movies? Oh, uh, forever. Uh, because, of course, every time uh, there is a chance that we find a new film, so we're always open for new discoveries. But to give you a time frame, that uh, 88 American Negatives plan uh, was imagined in 2007. 
negotiating negotiations started in 2015 and uh the the first uh restored film uh was out of the uh system right before covid started and uh now we must have uh 12 films scanned and three films restored so and and we were on for another probably two or three years if everything goes right so for the uninitiated, we can tell by the timeline that it's a tedious job. How do you summarize the work that has to be done? Well, it's a work that never ends. The longest uh, restoration process we've had was for the trip to the moon. It started in 1999 and ended in 2011. That's 12 years for a 12-minute film, 13-minute film. And when we started the project, the technologies that would allow us to finish it were not even conceived, they were not even imagined. It just takes a lot of optimism, a lot of energy, a lot of technology too. Uh, but after spending 40 years doing this, I kind of, you know, the secret of success is to last long enough. <laughs> I guess now I've lasted enough. But it's striking me as you give me the numbers that it was, it took less time for JFK to reach the moon after making his moonshot statement yes then it did (laughs) then it did for you to restore the 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 film of it yeah except kennedy was not there when they reached the moon and i'm there when i can show the melies films how satisfying is that for you oh you cannot imagine you know uh, george kukar said something he said cinema is like sex when it's well done it's magnificent and if it's not well done it's magnificent also. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I've, it's sharing those films, traveling with those films, showing those films to people who don't know them, bringing back the original enthusiasm. It's, it's beyond words. My final question to you is this one. Your quest for unearthed films of decades ago, centuries ago, technically, yeah. uh, it's never ending. Of course, it's never ending. And, you know, there are no lost films. It's just people who don't have the right information. I'm sure that all those films I'm seeking for, and we are all collectively looking for, are there in a barn, in a ceiling, in a basement. People who don't know what they have. And uh, maybe one day they will decide to empty the, the basement because they want to do something. And junk the rusty can. So please do not junk film. Uh, if you find films, call the nearest film archive. It's really important. They'll be interested. They will know what to do with them. It doesn't have to be me. It can be just anywhere in the world because archives are a community of people who talk together. We know what to do with the films. We know what is rare. We know what is important. And most of all, we love to share the restored films. And that's the best part of cinema. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Tracy. Thanks for listening. We'd like to hear from you. Let us know what you think of the show and who you'd like to hear us talk to. And please subscribe and rate this podcast. That way, more people will hear about it. Our podcast is produced by me, Tracy Madigan. Our editorial team is Pascal Confavreux, Baudouin Carrard, Pierre Léonard, and Susanna Autier. 
Our technical team is Nasrin Mirza and Patrick Nazaire. Thank you for listening. Au revoir.